0: The revenue from oil and gas is driving a massive budget surplus. And as a result, the governor wants to increase spending in a lot of different places. Here's the big picture. $9.4 billion. That's how much she has in her recommendation. That's almost a 12% increase from last year. Now, the state reserves. That's the amount of money the state sets aside to cover unforeseen costs. It was projected to be about 25%. That too, under the governor's recommendation, is going up to 35% I'm Damien Willis, and this is The Reporter's Notebook from the Las Cruces Sun News, a podcast in which we attempt to pull back the curtain on our reporting process while diving deeper into some of the biggest stories of the week. In this week's episode, we're joined by Adrian Hedden, who covers energy, oil, and gas for the Carlsbad Current Argus. As you likely know, Time is winding down on this year's 60-day legislative session. As we've discussed in several recent episodes, New Mexico's looking at a record-breaking budget surplus. It could be the state's largest budget in history. And, by and large, we've got the state's oil and gas sector to thank for that. But is the goose that laid the golden egg on the chopping block— Several bills put forth this year seek to curb the oil and gas industry with further restrictions, regulations, and oversight. It has long been acknowledged that New Mexico must find ways to diversify its revenue streams and reduce the state's reliance on extractive industries. Legislators, however, have failed to reach a consensus on a path forward. This year, several bills have been put forward that specifically address the state's relationship with the oil and gas industry. Others focus on alternative energies. With less than a week left in the session, some bills have died and others may have a chance of making it to the governor's desk. We'll talk to Adrian about energy, the oil and gas industry, and more. He's been following these bills closely. That's why we're thrilled to have him joining us this week. First, Adrian, thanks for joining us again to talk about your reporting on this issue, which is so critical to New Mexico and uh, especially to our state's economy.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's been a lot of movement um, as far as oil and gas regulations and the environment, you know, during the legislative session. So we've been keeping a close eye on that.
0: I've been thinking about this all week, and I'm not really sure how best to tackle this topic First, there are a lot of moving parts, and and things are changing by the hour. Some bills are still alive, some may be on life support, and others seem to have no chance of reaching the governor's desk at all. I should note for our listeners that we're recording this on Thursday, March 9th, and the session comes to an end at noon on Saturday, March 18th, so a little over a week from now. Adrian maybe we should just start by looking at the bills that seem to have the best chances of passing.
1: Yeah, I I could start off um, just an area that's seen a lot of uh, success, um, both Democrat and Republican initiatives so far has been wildfires. Um, There's been a lot of bills tied to wildfires in this session, mostly, I think, in direct response to the one, the ones that we saw last spring that were record-breaking, you know, the Calf Canyon Hermits Peak Fire, uh, the Black Fire, both 300,000-plus acres, you know, and other ones um, like the McBride Fire that was smaller but, frankly, was was. I think the only one that was actually fatal, uh, two people right. died in that fire up by Rudoso. So there's been a lot of bills around around that. Um, they had recovery funds, uh, I think it was about one hundred million dollars in, in funding for Calf Canyon recovery that allowed the state to provide uh, no interest loans to communities that would then be paid back when the federal recovery funds come in. Um, so that was Senate Bill six that that's passed. That's chaptered, signed into law happened pretty quickly, I think almost unanimous support in the House and Senate. And then we also have the blackfire recovery, which is a little bit less, um, quite a bit less actually. it's it's going to require the state to basically continuously update, you know how, how the recovery efforts have gone on, you know, the black fire was over in the boot Hill region, um, kind of over by Las Cruces area. Right. And has hit it. And that was a kind of a remote area, not a lot of property damage, just a lot of forest that was burned. So, you know, that's a Republican led bill. Um, Senator crystal diamond, I believe, um, introduced that. And it's been moving through the, through the, through the Senate. um, it's on the Senate floor right now, you know, other ones, you know, McBride fire recovery that passed the Senate, um, that, that provided a lot of funds, For that, And then another one that was sort of surprising was Senate Bill 21, which was introduced by Senator Ron Griggs of Alamogordo, placed a ban on prescribed burns, which was, you know, the cause of the Cav Canyon Hermit's Peak fire. So it placed a ban on prescribed burns um, during uh, spring originally. So March through May would have banned all prescribed burns. It actually faced a lot of opposition from agriculture, ranchers, you know, who use this as a tool to manage their their land. And that's kind of the time they do it. And and so you can see how that created a problem. So they tabled that bill initially in Senate uh, conservation committee, but then brought it back, which just doesn't happen very often um, with an amendment. They just banned it on red flag days. So, you know, they reached a compromise there uh, between parties Passed the Senate. Now it's in the house. So that one has a lot of momentum. So, yeah, I mean, overall, you're seeing a lot of success. You know, there's the wildfire recovery act that's Senate bill 268. That's been moving through that allows anyone new mexicans who've lost any property or anything like that from wildfires that allows them able to make a claim for damages to the state so i think
0: i really think that all of these historic fires were kind of a wake-up call and did go a long way toward bringing these legislators together to actually do something you know to take some
1: action Right. And it's, it's not just in response to the fires, but also to prevent future fires, you know, with the, the prescribed burn and the recovery fund, you know, sort of setting setting things up for, you know, if there's future threats of wildfires or, you know, how can we prevent them or how can we set up a framework to respond to them better in the future? So, yeah, it's bipartisan. I mean, a lot of these are unanimously supported, especially the relief funds.
0: Looking beyond wildfires, is there anything else that in the energy or oil and gas sector, that has been so unifying.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know that's that's a hard that's a hard thing, especially with oil and gas energy. Um, the state, you know, efforts by you know the Democrats and the Lujan Grisham administration to transition to cleaner energy. You know that creates a very polarizing debate where you have uh, you know lawmakers from Southeast New Mexico, you know, from the oil field, basically. Who are basically playing, you know? I've spoken to them. They they're playing def- defense. They say of the industry usually in these sessions, you know, and it's it's controlled by the Democrats. So on a lot of these committees, they hold really strong majorities, and Republicans will challenge bills, question bills, but in the end, they they usually don't. They usually can't block them. <laughs> they have a hard time with that. Right. With the way the setup is. There was one interesting bipartisan moment I found. During a, a bill that I just wrote about today, it was a House bill that would offer House Bill 350 that would add, offer tax credits to um, oil and gas operators that install uh, gas capture equipment on their wells. Um, it would give them $12,000 a well for installing that. And that's quite a lot. I mean, when you take 12,000 times 110,000 wells in New Mexico, it's, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Could be a lot, a big tax break for the industry, I guess, is is how it's characterized. Is
0: that something that, do you have a sense the industry would actually take advantage of those rebates?
1: Yeah, and, and these devices, um, they're uh, vapor removal units, they've already been widely used, and uh, they it behooves the industry to put them on after, you know, the new regulations um, from the Environment Department and the Oil Conservation Division that's calling for more gas capture. Um, They're required now to capture 98% of produced gas by 2026. So, you know, Democrats are like, this is something they should already be doing. Why are we paying them to do it? Republicans are saying we're trying to make the regulations financially viable. And so, you know, that bill was sponsored by Jim Townsend from... uh, you know, Artesia and a couple other Republicans from the area. It was initially blocked, but then they amended it again, adding a cap to how much the state could spend per year on it. I think it's, you know, like 100 million or something. And then they, uh, you know, said it would sunset in 2028. And so now that passed its committee. So, you know, those those are interesting bipartisan moments, you know, around the environmental sphere. As is the case every year, uh, there have also been
0: some bills that have failed to gain traction. Sure. Do any of those stand out to you?
1: Yeah, well, they, they did introduce the um, Green Amendment, as they call it. You know, the, the it's, a, it's a joint resolution, and they have one in the Senate and in the House. Basically, what that does is it puts language into the, well, it puts out a ballot question that allows voters to vote on adding language to the state constitution, specifying that we have a right to a clean environment. The concern there is that it would, Open up uh, the state for to, to lawsuits you know to, that you know then environmental policy would be determined by the courts not the legislature
0: well that's that's also what we saw happen in education with the Yezi Martinez case. You know, yeah, exact. yeah, it was it was a failure to meet the requirements of the state's constitution. So getting a bill of rights, you know, a, a right to uh, clean environment into the state's constitution, certainly it stands to reason that it would open that door.
1: Yeah. And, you know, slow development, especially when we're doing renewable energy, trying to build new transmission lines, things like that. So that had a lot of opposition from. Not just Republicans, but you know, and developers. But I was surprised. I spoke to some people from the renewable energy um, industry that were really concerned if that passed. And um, so that was introduced in the Senate Rules Committee and hasn't really moved. You know, they rolled it. I think it's likely tabled at this point. Same thing with the House one. Doesn't look like we're gonna we're gonna see that happen this year. And it's I think the third, second or third year they've done it. They've tried it. So um, that that's one thing that doesn't doesn't seem like it's going to go forward. <laughs> very high priority profile thing, you know,
0: is there uh, anything else? uh, Any other things that are fizzled out that
1: caught your eye? Mm, Well, uh, yeah. Our representative Townsend also had kind of a novel approach to, uh, you know, oil and gas and energy transition, hoping to uh, house bill 96. He, they wanted to classify natural gas basically as renewable energy. um, so, you know, that was shot down pretty quickly by Democrats that said, you know, natural fossil fuel, natural gas is not renewable energy. Townsend said, you know, he knows that. But, you know, in order to support natural gas during the transition to get the same kind of, you know, tax benefits and, and incentives, you know, we should add it to the list. But they said, well, we don't want to have inaccurate statements in our state laws. So. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that is interesting. Uh, have you been surprised by anything that's happened in the first seven weeks of the session? Any bills you expected might pass, but flamed out early or uh, or vice versa?
1: Well, um, I, I, one thing that's pretty impactful for southeast New Mexico and, and you know, people say for, for the state overall, it was, uh, you know, this project to store spent nuclear fuel, and, you know, near Carlsbad at Hobbs. Um, that's the Holtec International um, proposal. Basically, what this would do, this bill would block that project and, you know, require that the the, the state consent for any similar project to be built. Um, also, that the federal government must have a permanent repository in place in order to to be able to do what Holtec wants to do, which is temporary storage. You know, that bill, um, they've tried to do something similar in the past couple of years as this project's been developed. But this year. For whatever reason, Senate Bill 53 has been moving very quickly through through the legislature. It's now on its last House committee before the House floor. And keep in mind, it started in the Senate. So it moved very quickly through the Senate. And now it looks like it's going to go to the House floor. So that and that's when the governor will definitely sign. (laughs) Uh, So
0: basically, the idea is. Don't bring it to New Mexico and say you're going to store it temporarily without having a federal repository already built that will be its permanent home.
1: Exactly. Yeah, this project is um, very broadly supported in among like city council members and and the mayors of Carlsbad and Hobbs and and the two counties, but has faced a lot of opposition around the states. And from around the country, frankly, um, people are pretty concerned. Basically, they would be taking spent nuclear fuel from power plants around the country and, and moving it via rail um, all into southeast New Mexico, storing it on the surface and um, planning to move it to a permanent repository at some point in the future.
0: You know, we've seen recently uh, how uh, reliable real transportation is. You know, it, it, trains don't crash.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was something I was looking at today, actually, um, for a separate story on this. this is, you know, as the uh, New Mexico or the uh, U.S. Department of Transportation is calling for tighter safety regulations with all the derailments back east, some of the opponents of this Holtec project are asking for them to look at transporting radioactive material, you know, kind of under the um, on the backdrop of of this Holtec project.
0: Yeah, I think there was just another 30 car derailment today in Georgia. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, it seems to be happening with some frequency. It well, was certainly with uh, more frequency than a lot of people would be comfortable with if they're transporting nuclear waste.
1: Certainly. Yeah. And, and you know, Senator Steinborn, the sponsor of that bill, points out too that, you know, that waste would come via rail from all over the country, you know, all through New Mexico. But it would all converge in Clovis at the rail spur and they would all come to Carlsbad. And so, you know, that concentration of risk in his mind is just unacceptable for the region. And so, you know, if the state doesn't expressly consent to this project, then that bill would basically ban the Environment Department from issuing any sort of permits it would need to operate.
0: Is there anything else that uh, surprised you either direction?
1: Yeah, um, there's a couple of bills Around solar power that are kind of interesting. Um, Senator uh, Bill Soles, who's, I think, from Los Cruces, right. introduced two bills that have kind of slowed down. They seemed like they had a lot of momentum, but he's, he's a big supporter of, you know, renewable energy, solar power, that kind of thing. So he had Senate Bill 60 that would require solar power systems in all new public schools. Um, and that sets a certain amount how much power, how much of the school's power they have to provide. You know that past Senate Education Committee on a pretty successful uh, meeting. I thought it sounded like there was a lot of support for that, a lot of compromise going on with the with the schools and the superintendents who spoke. But it's been sitting in Senate Finance since January, so kind of interesting. So, you know, I, I know that some of these secondary committees, like Senate Finance, you know, everything kind of goes through you know, these committees that are sort of thematically linked to them and then they have to go out there basically through the finance of the judiciary and, you know, they get held up. Right. Public, right. And I think that's that's the case. Here. Senator
0: Solz was actually our
1: guest last week on the podcast. Oh, cool. Yeah. I'd like to ask him what he thinks about these. Um so He also had another bill that uh would require 75 percent of state vehicles be electric by 2030. You know, And I think that's viewed as a pretty big ask, especially when you consider state police and people like that. So he was, he was negotiating with that. And, you know, that got through Senate transportation as well. But um, yeah, it's been sitting in finance. (laughs) Um, Imagine that. Yeah, since January as well. So
0: (laughs) the energy sector is an interesting one, legislatively, particularly when it comes to extractive energies, like drilling and mining, it's so closely intertwined with climate change and the environment and the push toward investing in clean energy alternatives seems to be growing. And yet legislatively, we haven't
1: seen a ton of movement. Do you want to share your thoughts on this? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think um, when it comes to talking about it, you know, passing bills like the, uh, you know, the Energy Transition Act, um, which was 2019 that they, you know, always tout is we got to do things to try to meet these requirements of zero, you know, carbon-free energy by 2045. You know, they there, there's you know, those sort of broad ideas sound good, but then when it comes to actually funding some of this stuff, you know, lawmakers are a little more cautious about providing tax incentives and and things like that. Uh, as far as uh, oil and gas, you know, there have been bills that would raise basically the costs of that companies pay to the state to, to operate um, it just had one uh, senate bill 164 that would raise oil and gas royalty rates so that companies that drill for oil on state land would have to take a quarter of the value and give it to the state trust you know to the state land office so you know that's that's moving on to the senate floor the oil and gas justice reform act that that would basically raise a lot of requirements and a lot of costs And, you know, that's moving through. That's in Senate Judiciary. So, you know, as far as it seems like tightening the oil and gas industry regulations, you know, that seems to have some some movement. But, yeah, you're right. You know, some of these some of these bills that would seem to prop up the renewable energy industry are, you know, we're not seeing as much of that. Just kind of spinning their wheels
0: in in committees.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's that by that Senate Finance and Senate Judiciary; those bottlenecks seem to really slow things down. Which you know, that's what you want, I guess, in government, right? Right, right. Plotting and analysis.
0: (laughs) That's sort of the the system of checks and balances that uh, (laughs) that that do slow legislation down, but sometimes for a really good reason.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, before you give out these these tax incentives, you know, you really want to, uh, I guess, make sure that they can be afforded and, you know, that they're and not going to Yeah, <laughs> exactly.
0: If you're just tuning in, we're talking to Adrian Hedden, a reporter who covers energy, oil and gas for the Carlsbad Current Argus. As we record this HB 95, which would permanently establish a renewable energy office in the state land office. Is making some progress. Without the bill, a future land commissioner could opt to dissolve the office of renewable energy and its efforts to grow the renewable energy sector in New Mexico. You wrote about it recently.
1: Am I explaining that correctly? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, Stephanie Garcia Richard was elected, um, really pushing renewable energy. Really, you know. I think tripled the amount that's being developed in the States on state trust land. And so, yeah, it created the office of renewable energy that, that basically handles all that, you know, specifically, you know, it's become a pretty big, a pretty big priority of hers, And um, I don't think they want to see that go away, even if the administration changes. So yeah, that's another one of those.
0: Is the presence of the office of renewable energy felt down in your neck of the woods uh, in the Southeast part of the state?
1: Uh, you know, we, uh, we, we've seen a fair amount um, as far as renewable energy in general, you know, sometimes we, we do see some of these wind turbines going through town on, on the back of big flatbed trucks. It's kind of cool. The state uh, renewable energy office, you know, I recently toured a solar farm being built by uh, one of the big oil companies that they were a big part of. So, yeah, I think that's that that has definitely had an effect. If you go up more Lincoln, Torrance County area, they've got just massive wind turbines you know, wind farms all over the place. I'm going to be actually driving up to uh, Portales at the end of the month for another story. And going through that area, too, you see, I'm kind of excited to see if it's grown even more than last time, because there is, it is quite quite a growth in eastern New Mexico as far as yeah. energy. I think the state land office has a lot to do with that.
0: I grew up uh, in Fort Sumner, and uh, now whenever I go back, there are wind turbines all over the place.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's it's I guess it's it's good for that industry and for New Mexico's climate change goals. But, you know, I have to think, you know, when I was driving from Lovington to Portales, you know, that little stretch heading north, you know, you, know, you see all these this massive prairie that's just now covered in wind farms. <laughs> yeah. So you wonder about the guy who's got the house that used to have this undisturbed prairie and of these turbines. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
0: it. absolutely. It's kind of loosely related, and we've talked about it before on this podcast, but nuclear waste disposal, also a part of the conversation. You touched on it earlier, but of course, it's a really big deal down in your area. Is there any other legislation moving forward beyond what we already discussed?
1: Yeah, and no, uh, Senate Bill 53, I mean, that that's the main one um, as, as far as specifically tied to the nuclear industry and nuclear waste you know that that bill has multiple facets to it um, there's not only the the block of full project you know the the, the um, consent issue that we touched on but it would also expand the um radioactive it's like the radioactive consultation task force or some some things like that They're, the state's radioactive task force to include membership uh you know from you know indigenous groups from the, I think from the state land office, you know, it it would expand that membership. It would expand the task force's uh, authority to oversee not just um, government owned facilities like, uh, like the waste isolation pilot plant, but also private ones like Holtex. Right. Um, You know, it it would uh, require the task force meet like I think annually or twice a year, which is right now, I I don't think it, I think it's only met a handful of times since it was created so, you know, and, and Steinborn, the sponsor, he chairs that committee. So he's he's trying to give himself a little more teeth, I think, specifically um, around this whole tech facility.
0: Historically, that nuclear waste storage has been pretty concentrated in southeast New Mexico. Meanwhile, in the opposite corner, the northwest corner of the state, the conversation's been around hydrogen development as right. someone who really doesn't know a whole lot about hydrogen production or extraction or however they do it. Can can you explain it to me like I'm a, a fourth grader?
1: Yeah, yeah. So hi- hydrogen um, can be used, you know, as a, as a form of power. Um, and there's multiple ways to extract it. The, I think the most common has been from fossil fuel, natural gas. And, you know, so bills um, that they had last year that incentivized hydrogen development, opponents, you know, from the environmental community were against it because they felt like it would prop up the natural gas industry, which they didn't want. You know, hydrogen can also be extracted from water using, uh, you know, various forms of energy. I think the green hydrogen requires that green hydrogen, which is ideal for the environmentalists requires that it use renewable energy to generate the power needed to extract the, the hydrogen, you know, from obviously not an extracted source of like natural gas, and also include carbon capture. So any emissions that are generated are sequestered. So, yeah, I mean, hydrogen is an interesting issue. It can be it sounds like it can be either really good for the environment or really bad for the environment. It just depending on, on, on how it's done. Yeah, the form. Yeah.
0: And is there much movement across New Mexico on the hydrogen front?
1: That's what's been interesting. You know, I go on here and look at the list of bills every day looking for the hydrogen bill. And I mean, it's it's as an industry, it could be supported. You know, there's been some talk about House Bill 12, the Advanced Energy uh, Technology Act that would sort of broadly benefit the industry sort of indirectly. But last year, in the last session, they had, I think, four different bills that were specific to the hydrogen industry, creating tax incentives and, and, and things like that for, for the hydrogen industry specifically. All four of those failed. It was quite a defeat um, for um, lawmakers who supported that, and the governor even called for it. So, for for the hydrogen uh, to grow, so you know, haven't been waiting to see if they're going to introduce any more hydrogen bills. But like you said, we're almost ten days out. Yeah,
0: here and yeah, time's ticking. If it got one committee assignment, it may not have time to to make it through at this point.
1: Exactly, exactly. But well, um, but you know, New Mexico's not giving up on it though. Um, The state joined sort of a coalition, I think, of four other Western states to team together to try to apply for some of the federal funds that have been offered to develop hydrogen hubs around the country. So these are like regional hubs that are based around hydrogen. And uh, I know that there's been, it looks like the money might be going to some areas on the eastern side of the country, but uh, New Mexico the governor and governors of a few other, I think. I want to say Wyoming, Colorado, maybe Nevada are targeting this money as a team. And and so maybe that's kind of where the priority is now, not so much in the state law. Gotcha.
0: Gotcha. Before I let you go, we've spoken in the past about the oil and gas industry's boomer bust nature. You know, it's sure. it's feast or famine. I read a recent Albuquerque Journal editorial that called this the state's latest and possibly last boom cycle. You follow oil and gas really, really closely. And all of the legislators I asked about that assertion basically said, I wish I had their crystal ball. (laughs) While I know you also don't have a crystal ball, I wonder where you see the industry going in the short term.
1: Yeah, well, um, I think in the short term, prices are going to remain high, you know, with Russia's uh, removal from the market after you, the Ukraine invasion, especially the uh, natural gas industry is, is seeing a lot more strain on American producers. You know, Russia is a big producer of fossil fuels and they're out of the market. So we're having to basically fuel Europe. Right. You know, that drives up demand, which drives up price. Um, we're seeing production numbers are pretty high in the Permian Basin specifically, they're Going up by thirty thousand, you know, barrels a day in in this uh, this next month, prices are above pre pandemic levels. We're in consistently in the seventies and eighties, which is even before the pandemic, which led to that historic bust. Right, we were you know in the 50 sixty dollar range. So, you know, you look at gasoline prices are still over three dollars. So it's you know, in the short term, the next year or two, um, you know, I think we're going to continue to see it be high. As for like the next decade or so, there have been some talk that we might hit peak demand in the next few years. The world as a whole is embracing more renewable alternative sources of fuel. So, you know, you might start seeing that demand fall off as these other industries and energy supplies uh, rise to prominence. So, yes, I think a lot of lawmakers are hoping to try to insulate New Mexico from from, you know, the boom and bust cycle trying to diversify the economy and that's what you know a lot of this a lot of these bills are about
0: i think the sense i get is that uh in many high-ranking uh legislators in santa fe have told me that they're very very cognizant when they're sitting on an historically large right. budget surplus but they're very aware that uh it needs to be spent in non-recurring funds to the degree that it can. Exactly. They they don't want to build this into the budget year after year after year, and not know what's going to happen with oil and
1: gas. Exactly. You know. I mean, things like giving uh, teachers raises using oil money is you know I think draws some concern because when oil busts, you know, five ten years down the road, what what are we going how are we going to pay for them then?
0: Right. There was a, there was a time not long ago when the state was worried about making payroll. Yeah, right. Sure. And and one lawmaker told me that they may have even been writing bad checks at one point.
1: Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, keep in mind that during the pandemic, when oil plummeted, um, we went from, you know, multi-billion dollar surplus to 400 billion dollar deficit. Right. So, you know, the money can. Yeah. And I think that's that's a good point. You don't want to develop programs that. You know, you say you have all this extra money and you develop all these great new programs that are essential services like education or healthcare and then oil busts. It's it is cyclical, you know, I don't think that's that can be debated. And it's
0: it's also really hard, Adrian, to to invest in non-recurring items, you know, infrastructure like like uh, early childhood care centers, or right. so schools, geez. or things like that. Roads. roads, um broadband. Because you know those broadband towers have to be maintained. The roads have to be maintained. The early childhood centers have to be staffed, and that's going to happen year after year after year. So it's really hard to spend money one time and not create a scenario where. You have to keep spending money
1: every year. Yeah. Yeah. In government. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be frustrating for these people, these lawmakers and government officials that have all this money and then have to be, you know, not really know how to use it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. could be gone in the next couple of years. I mean, even if we don't hit peak demand and even if the industry doesn't end, it's still going to be f- fluctuating mm-hmm. and everyone has ideas some really great ideas
0: about how to invest this money but you really have to look five or ten years down the road when you're doing that and sometimes you know it's just not a chance that they they feel comfortable taking
1: yeah yeah no i can see that yeah it's a tough job i, I don't envy them in <laughs> Fe.
0: <laughs> um is there anything else you want to add that we haven't touched on adrian um,
1: no no I, I think we uh, those are the main things um another bill that's kind of interesting up in farmington area in the north northwest corner you know they're they're trying to remediate that san juan generating station this is not something that i've covered a lot but i sort of dipped my toes in it did a story on it and uh i mean wow you, you talk about a community that is, has a big issue with this coal fire power plant that they're closing. You know, I mean, that's that's going to be interesting to watch. Um, the state would basically require New Mexico to oversee it. And, you know, that's going to open the state up to a lot of liabilities as, you know, trying to prevent water pollution, you know, in, in the, right. in the Navajo nation, things like that. So, I mean, I think that's that's something to watch. I mean, I think we're pretty much ending our use of coal nationwide. So we'll see if maybe that goes the way of oil goes the way of coal eventually. And, you know, now we have all these oil wells in Southeast that need to be remediated. And what's the state's role going to be in that, you know, kind of really makes you think you're kind of, it's something that they've already
0: kind of dipped their toes into with, um, you know, addressing a lot of these orphaned wells.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a big issue. I mean, that's,
0: Although it's not it's not one hundred and fifty thousand uh, wells that they have to worry about.
1: No, it's about it's probably about two thousand. I think the last number I heard was seventeen hundred, and the state is able to do it about fifty a year. If oil
0: were to go the way of the dodo, then you've got a whole lot more wells that you've got to figure out what to do with.
1: Yeah, and they can cost hundreds of thousands of dollars each. You know, sometimes millions if you need to restore the land. So, yeah, that's a that's a big issue as orphan wells
0: well thank you for uh, taking some time to talk to us today about your reporting we sure appreciate it and i'm sure our readers appreciate you continuing to follow this all as it develops
1: no problem no problem you know it's 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 a tough uh tough to keep track of all this stuff you know and you know especially with local newspapers you know we got limited resources so and it moves Fast,
0: Yeah. <laughs> it moves fast or or it doesn't, or it moves fast and then
1: it stops. Yeah, you kind of have to be judicious about which topics you decide to focus in on, you know, what bills. You know, there's a lot of education, crime bills and things that I would love to, to tackle. But, you know, with our limited resources here, you know, you kind of have to just pick, pick one s- sphere of it that's more important to your community. You know, so we're in the energy community, so... <laughs> That's right, kind of where my focus has been.
0: Sure. Well, thanks again, Adrian. Uh, it's always fun catching up. Yeah, no problem, Damien. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Reporter's Notebook. We also have a newsletter sharing reporters' stories about, well, about how we report stories. You can find all of our reporting in the Las Cruces Sun News. A huge thanks goes out to Adrian Hedden for joining us this week. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and many of the places you find your favorite podcasts. Thanks to KOB4 in Albuquerque for the extra audio in this week's episode. This has been the Reporter's Notebook from the Las Cruces Sun News. I'm your host, Damien Willis. This week's podcast was written and produced by me. You can find all of our local reporting brought to you daily by reporters who live and work in las cruces at www.lcsun-news.com for all of us at the sun news thank you for the privilege of your time